everybody. Welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Warden of the North, Rob Logan, joined in the studio today by Knights King Paulo, Fire and Blood, and Master of Coin, Matt West. I am the god of tits and wine. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, we are doing part two of our Game of Thrones spoiler-filled season six recap. From this point forward, we will be talking openly and freely about the show. There's going to be spoilers uh, for the entire second half and even some of the first half. I don't know why you wouldn't have listened to the first half first, but, you know, internet. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to hop into the spoiler room right now. Access, Access granted. granted. Welcome. We left off with Mira dragging Bran as he's having visions. But she can't drag him anymore. Whites appear, but they're killed by a hooded stranger. Yeah, this is a big scene, right? Especially for, like, book readers. Yeah, definitely. They see it, and they're like, it's cold hands. And to me, that meant nothing before yeah. I actually did the mm-hmm. research. And, like, it, I, like it is, we later learn that it's Uncle Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And for everyone, whether you're a show watcher or just a book reader or both, like, that's a big reveal, right? Because we haven't seen him since the beginning of the series. I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. It's been so long. Like, he's kind of like a bloated sort of blue version mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uncle Benjamin, obviously, for, for obvious reasons. But, like, it's it's nice to see him again because you're like, oh, yeah, Uncle Benjamin. That guy was seemed like a solid dude from, like, season one. Yeah. And then, like, for him to ride in and sort of be, like, the protector was nice. Although later on, we at least I kind of suspect that maybe there's something else going on. But sure. obviously, he's he said, I'm working with the children of the, of the, the forest, forest and I'm here to help you out. And then the throwaway that nobody seems to acknowledge is that he completely decapitates an, a, a rabbit and then pours the blood into a cup and then gives it to Bran to drink. That was messed up. Like, what? Yeah. Like, is is it because he's a three-eyed raven now? All he can drink is rabbit blood that was really strange like was it for nutrition warmth i is there some sort of magical connection what is going on like it was so weird to see that but and again seeing uncle benjamin again was dope right. if I, he drank it yeah if right. he drank it i would have yeah. been like oh yeah well he is like this. undead yeah so. like he's sort of halfway between white walker and human right, right? so it's kind of like what did they say they like they did to him kind of like an abbreviated version of what they did to the, to yeah, like the, the, the children of the forest found him and used dragon glass to like stop the full turn. Right. And I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Do you, like stick it in his foot or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that weapon that he had was cool. Oh, like the this, orb like, that was flame. Oh, that was so badass. Like chain with fire orb and then the sickle on the end. Yeah. That was kind of awesome. It was so much cooler that it like dropped first and yeah. then engulfed in flame. It's yeah. very much like it, re- it reminded me of like a martial arts movie where totally. you like, drop the chain. The spikes thing. pop out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's so dope. And then. I don't know if that fire was that fire magical at all, or was it just because it was fire that they were burning the bodies? I think it was just because it was fire. That was cool. But I don't know how he ignited it, so maybe it was right. magic. Yeah, maybe it is some sort of like weird magic, especially because we've seen that fire may or may not stop White Walkers. He, well, I mean, it, there it does, but I mean, up until then, well, we it doesn't know. stop White Walkers, or at least not the Knights King. It doesn't stop like the four horsemen of the White's right, like, the Knights right. King's court, or but whatever the, those guys are. The more like low level whites yeah like the zombie takes them out those guys are fair game but yep. fire doesn't seem to stop the knight's king but yeah that scene was cool and also just like 
to see that character again, I hope and pray that he has noble intentions mm-hmm. and that he's just Uncle Benjamin. Yeah. But anything is possible, right? He could right. just be like an like a like an agent for the Knights King. Could be. Who knows? Full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make me mad. Sam and Gilly arrive at Horn Hill and meet his mother and sister. That's just a quick little intro to yeah. them. We see like him landing there and then seeing how his mother and sister receive him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's interesting to note that it was just like his father sort of that thought he was a giant pussy. Oh, yeah, they're very away. warm to him. Yeah, like yeah. his mom and sister are like, oh, so good to see you. And oh, is this your wife? Fawning over Gilly. Like, yeah. oh, look, we have a dress that'll fit you. You'll look beautiful. And it's kind of like, but I mean, it, it also is kind of like a parent who sees their loser kid go off and then come back married. And it's like. Holy shit. Like, we need I to never sem- thought this would happen. We need to somehow preserve this relationship. You got a wife, so, you got a baby. So wow. let's doll this girl up and treat her like a queen so right, that she right. doesn't leave our our poor little son. But yeah, and then you get to see that sort of relationship like uh, with the father, which comes around later. Mm-hmm. And then there's an obvious sort of big point there with yeah. uh, a certain sword. A little butt. A little butt. Yeah. Tommen is finally reunited with Marjorie, and she seems to be quite influenced by the High Sparrow. Yeah. I, I was a little weirded out that she didn't sort of signal to Tommen in any way that like, just kidding. Yeah. Like I'm on your side. You know, I like, think she knows how weak he is though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he is impressionable. Yeah. Very impressionable. She's not telling anybody. Yeah. That's a good way to play. She's a hundred percent at this point. Yeah. Cause the, who, who do you trust right yeah. now? I get just your mom, I guess. Yeah. Everything's up in the air. Grandmother. Grandmother. Actually. Yeah. Grandmother. grandmother. Sam and Gilly sit down for dinner with the family, and Sam's dad, Randall, is a complete ass, belittling Sam every chance he gets. Gilly sticks up for Sam, and in doing so, exposes that she is a wildling, which is the one thing that Sam said, do not do. Yeah. And it's just like that whole interaction with his father, and like even like with his brother, Mm -hmm. is so like awkward. It's so vile. uh, It's just, it it was so hard to watch because he's like, oh, is this. This is elk from today's hunt. And they're like, oh, well, you need to cure it. And it's just like, oh, I've been there before. I've mm-hmm. had this dinner. Like, maybe not with my family, but maybe with, like, my in-laws or somebody. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, it's so awkward. And you're just like, ah, I need this to be over. He's just trying to talk to break the silence. Mm-hmm. And they just put yeah. him down anytime he opens his mouth. Yeah. Or even he wants some more bread. Come yeah. on. And his dad is a total asshole. He's like, what? You're so fat. You're eating cars. What are you doing? Like, yeah. it's such like a, oh, it's, I've been there and I've seen it before. And, and you watch just, Sam turn back into his insecure, like, five-year-old self or something. And you're like, God damn it, Sam. You've killed a White Walker. You've traveled more than probably your father has ever traveled. Right. And done more in in your short time on this show than maybe he has in his lifetime. We don't know. And to see him turn back into that little, like, sort of innocent, damaged child. Yeah. Just like, if instead he had just broken out into stories of what he's been up to. Yeah. Like, I don't I'm, know if his dad would have just put him down and be like, oh, that's all bullshit. Yeah, I think yeah. he would have. But that, yeah, like, the, his father was just like, ugh. I, yeah. I, know, I know that father. Definitely. Sam's ordered to leave in the morning. At first he agrees, but then he steals the family sword and they all leave. So the family sword is like the big sort of thing, right? In this scene, because mm-hmm. we find out it's Valerian steel, right? So it's kind of one of those little, like, it's one of those little nuggets of information that is very important to the greater story, right? It drops an exposition quickly, and yeah, you could have missed it. Yeah, but. it's just like, oh, by the way, this is a magical sword that can that has a greater purpose, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. now Sam has 
a hold of it and it sort of it will navigate the story going forward like how will his father react will his father sort of storm old town to get this valuable sword back because mm-hmm. we know that his father thinks that's the world of that sword oh yeah and obviously the entire world does because valerian steel is very rare but like i thought it was a very like fuck you moment like he's just like fuck you dad <laughs> oh yeah, yeah totally grabs totally the sword and just like runs but away. in typical sam fashion he almost does it in a cowardly way like right he's is taking it when nobody's looking yeah and running off with it which is kind of hilarious yeah <laughs> During another play, Arya is the only one laughing at the death of Joffrey. That was amusing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes backstage and poisons Lady Crane's rum. As she starts to leave, Lady Crane stops her to chat. Before she can drink the rum, Arya returns and slaps it out of her hand, warning her of the actress that wants her dead, which she was presuming. We don't know that that's yeah. actually the case, but I mean, we can imagine it probably was. The only information she was operating with, or at least that we have seen, was mm-hmm. that that somebody wants this woman dead. Yeah. And so Arya just makes the assumption that because this other actress is jealous of the woman that was the target, mm-hmm. that's probably her. And yeah. so I don't know if she sets anything else into motion by doing that, but we kind of see it on her face. Like the girl is sort of shocked, like, oh shit, I've been found out. Right, right. So it's almost know, it's, like the confirmation. Yeah. It's kind of entirely possible. Yeah. Arya returns to the place where she hid her sword and digs it out. The waif knows that Arya has failed and is ordered to kill her, or maybe not ordered, but uh, <laughs> gets the go-ahead go from ahead. the faceless man yeah. to do so. So this is kind of like her Bruce Wayne moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where she realizes, like, I, I'm not about this life. Yeah. And so she goes back, digs up Needle, and is like, I am Arya Stark again. And so, like, you and I had talked about this before. This is her in Batman Begins right. with the sword flipping the fire out of the way and right. then taking down the League of Shadows. Right. This is her rebelling against Ra's al Ghul, albeit Ra's al Ghul in the Game of Thrones world is much more forgiving. Yes. At least that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it was, it was very much, I mean, and we'll talk about this later, how it kind of disappointed me going forward, but this was a kind of like a very, like it was a, it was a positive moment. Totally. Where she totally just, determines for herself i am Arya stark i am not the girl with no name mm-hmm. and i will do only good except for all of the murder that i'm going to do to the people on the list <laughs> right except for the people that deserve it which in is her like eyes. in the eyes of the viewer is like oh that's perfectly valid right mm-hmm. right, right? we like, all want everyone on the list dealt with as well although the hound was on there at one point too yeah and, and we she at least as far as you know Arya is concerned is dead but mm-hmm. you know we'll see more later yep Jamie Lannister leads his forces to the steps of the Sept, where Marjorie is preparing to make the Walk of Atonement. As he demands Marjorie and Sir Loras return, Tommen emerges from the Sept and joins with Marjorie and the Faith. Tommen then removes Jamie from the Kingsguard and orders him to River Run to help the Freys deal with the Blackfish. This is like the biggest cockblock moment. Yeah, I was so pissed that like Tommen just walked out and was like, "No," like I, it just. Made me think he was Carl even more. Yeah. It's just like, you're ruining a moment. This could have been like the moment where Jamie sort of like gets everything back mm-hmm. and does the positive good thing for his sister wife, Cersei, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like it, it, Jamie was totally ready and the army was there and they were good to go. Mm-hmm. And then Tommen just walks out. And the little detail that I did notice was that his Kingsguard his king's guard men had different armor on ah like they it was the seven pointed star instead okay. of the the crown uh so it was like ah uh, god damn it 
The high sparrow strikes again. They made that a tire change real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, just weighing down the story again. And I think that at that point when that happened, I, I have I got the feeling that that's when Lady Terrell started moving things in other directions. Like she yeah. I think she felt that uh Marjorie's ability to influence the king and to uh sort of get Tom in under her feminine wiles have passed. Yeah. Oh, really? Because I didn't I didn't get that at all, because I thought that it was Marjorie who's the one that brought Tommen into this decision. Well, I think because uh, Lady Tyrell, Olena, she doesn't know what Marjorie's game is yet. Right. Because they haven't met yet. Right. So right. she in her eyes, it's just, oh, my God. Like she just thinks Marjorie's she, lost. And Marjorie's she, taking Tommen has stepped in and he's fully with the high scepter. And, and that's where it's going to. And Marjorie's going to take this walk, and she's obviously brainwashed by the the High Sparrow. Mm-hmm. I need to move in a different direction to preserve our family somehow. Yeah, going forward. It was at this point though that if like I was starting to think Marjorie was truly brainwashed because I was like, if not, what's her play here? Mm-hmm. Like, why would she do this? Why would she convince Tommen? And maybe it's because she thinks the faith is going to take down Cersei. But then uh, I feel like they kind of already have in a way by making her perform the Walk of Atonement and just knocking her down a peg. Mm -hmm. But if if the faith is left in control, she's seen how damaging they can be. They're no better. Right. So what is Marjorie's actual play here? Loras, her brother. By showing yeah. she figures that if she can get the favor of the high scepter and maybe she can obviously we see mm-hmm. she tries to broker a deal to protect and save her brother's life because he was headed to be put to death. Yeah. But at the same time, if Jamie's on the steps of the sept, like maybe the wheels are already in motion. This is unavoidable. And that's why it follows through. But Jamie's there not only for Marjorie, but for Sir Loris. So there's another out. Yeah. So why not take that one where she gets to just return to the Red Keep? Well, I think Marjorie is also she's a character who manipulates, but she also is very much allured with the idea that she's in control. Mm. So by letting Jamie swoop in and having a Lannister be the reason that her brother is freed, it's like out of her control again somehow. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't want it to go in that direction because maybe then she'll owe a favor to the Lannisters. Like, do you really want that in your life at some point, especially if you're the queen? Right. Right. So do you really want to owe something to a Lannister other than, than, you know, your your husband, the king? And so just to kind of like rob Cersei of that power, maybe she's going the route of appearing to be brainwashed and to accept the faith so that she can ascend to a level where she's like, well, I guess we don't need the faith anymore. Like this is Marjorie playing a longer game then maybe she needs to. Right. So, right. The stranger reveals himself to be Uncle Benjen, as we said. Yeah. He was left to die by a White Walker, but the children of the Force prevented him from turning. Uh, we discussed all that. Daenerys is leading the Dothraki to Marine when she goes ahead of the party. Suddenly, Drogon appears with Daenerys on his back. Dude, Drogon, just like. He's huge. He's so big. Dr- Dragon Gains. Yeah. Hashtag Dragon Gains. Because, <laughs> like, we, the last we left him, I mean, like, he was big enough to carry her, <coughs> sure. I guess he was maybe, like, a little bigger than, yeah. like, a Clydesdale or something. But now he's, like, full fledged dragon. Like, he's been off, like. I'm assuming he doesn't get bigger than this. I'm assuming. I mean, they said it, right? They were like, dragons don't, they don't uh, thrive in captivity. Mm -hmm. And especially previously with like the Mad King and 
every every Targaryen before that, the dragons kept getting smaller because they kept keeping the dragons in captivity. Right. So like I think Balerion the black is the black dread. He was the last like giant dragon, right? Mm-hmm. And he was allowed to fly freely. So I think if you just let them loose and go and eat whatever they need to eat and fly around and hit the weight room. I don't know what they do. It's like if you have a goldfish, you put in a goldfish bowl, he stays a goldfish, but if you put them in a pond, they turn into koi eventually. Right. Yeah, like yeah. They'll, they'll just grow, keep growing until they're... Yeah, Maybe these know. dragons are like Pokemon. Like, you just let them go and they, they evolve. I don't know. <laughs> but he was fucking huge, right? Yeah, like, yeah. he landed and you're just like, whoa, that's a dragon. Super dramatic, yeah. Like, that's a real dragon. Oh, like, fuck yeah. And then we have that moment with Daenerys doing her whole, like speech i choose all of you right right kind of like another pokemon moment <laughs> dothraki i choose you <laughs> you need to all fit in this little orb yeah every one of you and it's, again it's like my whole gripe with like daenerys and having these like really high moments but then moments of incompetency it's like just just do something right please right, right. because you've got all this now episode seven we see a small band of people cutting and carrying wood building a settlement one man drops his log and turns to reveal the hound is alive. Right. To preface that particular scene, you see like three or four people carrying one log. Right. And then, and then you one see, dude carrying one. Yeah. And he just drops it like it's a toothpick. Yeah. And then you see that it's the hound. I was glad to see him back. Yeah. yeah I kind of was too. I think it'd been over a season yeah. since we've seen him. And like he says later on, he's shit at dying. Or he he's not shit at dying, but you know, other people are. And yeah, yeah. Obviously he is too. Because <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't pull it off. Right. And that like it's kind of good to see him in this light, especially in this like in this episode, because mm-hmm. he's very much like yeah, like he's the reformed hound. He's Maybe changed quite a bit. He's not a murderer anymore. He's right. very much like a Well, he is, but murders for the right reasons. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he's he's a product of his environment. And I mean, you look at who his brother was, and that yeah. was sort of the environment he was brought up in. I think he learned a lot from being with Arya. And I think if he had come up in a peaceful with a more peaceful group. That may have been who he really wanted to be. Just this, you know, yeah. this woodsman using his size to like cut down trees and be a part of a community. Mm-hmm. But that was never the environment he was in. He yeah. was brought up in the shadow of his giant brother who was this, this murderous knight. And you're going to have to do the same thing. Yeah. So I think that you're very much looking at probably where he would have been if he hadn't been brought up with, you know, with yeah. Gregor as his brother. Like and, alternative universe. Yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The High Sparrow encourages Marjorie to guide her grandmother to their way of thinking, implying a threat on her life at the end, as he tends to do. Mm-hmm. Always uh, has some sort of underlying message going on there. Mm-hmm. Marjorie meets with her grandmother, Olena, and constantly defends the faith, and Septa Unella has come with her. This is one of the problems I think people have with the show. We have Lady Olena and Septa Unella. Like, the yeah. names are just too similar mm-hmm. and uncommon that people lose track of who's who and everything. But she's very good at keeping up the act right here. Marjorie asks her grandmother to go home, secretly slipping a piece of paper in her hand that has their house sigil on it. And she agrees to do so. And in that message, of course, you see her break character, not Mm -hmm. only when she says, go home, but also when she goes to hug her and knows that this might be the last time she sees her. Yeah. It's nice to finally have confirmation that she's playing the game Mm -hmm. and is not actually brainwashed. So. I had hopes going forward, but as we will discuss later, yeah. those hopes. But were. it also shows the level of, of conniving and, and intrigue that's involved with Lady Terrell, uh, Elena Terrell, because she's 
she's she's come up in the Game of Thrones, if you will, and and she's gotten to where she is. Maybe she was never the queen, but she's definitely gotten the power from the House of Tyrell that mm-hmm. she has um, and had the House of Tyrell sit where it is in, in the grand scheme of things because of her abilities in playing the game and, and making these connections. Well, I mean, she's the head, like the figurative head of one of the most powerful houses mm. oh, in yeah. the realm. Yep. So she's she she can't have gotten there. She couldn't have gotten there. Right. It's without not, playing. the it game. Was, it was it was for a reason that she was the matriarch that she wasn't hold, held the power yeah. that she did. I think she's like what Marjorie would be if Marjorie was able to get to that, that age, Mm. you know, like have that experience. Like she wants to bestow that on Marjorie Mm -hmm. and Marjorie to a certain extent has that sort of experience. And she is much farther ahead in the game than Lady Olenna ever was. Right. Right. But I think, you know, Lady Olenna is trying to teach Marjorie, like it's a savage game, no matter how in control you believe that you are, Mm -hmm. you need to be ready for what's to come. If there, had been, if there had been no Cersei, I think that Lady Tyrell would have been able to do that with Mark because oh, yeah. Tom and was bright eyed boy with hot hot wife. Whoa, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. He would have done anything she said and, and Lady Tyrell could have been pulling the strings from behind the scenes. Lady Tyrell was in the same position that Cersei was maybe like two or three seasons ago. Right. Her husband is on the small council. Mm-hmm. Her granddaughter is is sleeping with the king. Mm-hmm. She's in the perfect position to be like the puppeteer of the seven mm-hmm. kingdoms. Yeah. Like she's in the best position, I think. And she had, she had the most power. It's just that events out of her control yep. dominoed into such an effect where she's forced to run. And mm-hmm. part of that is in part due to the high sparrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Starting to gather their army, John and Sansa approach the wildlings at their home while originally reluctant. They eventually agree. Yeah, this is my favorite scene because like Torment, or not my favorite scene, but one of my favorite scenes where like he's talking to Torment. He's like, how do I know you're going to be there? And he's like, basically, he's like, we're too dumb to betray people. Once we say <laughs> we're going to do something, we're doing it. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's 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 comforting, right? Because it's like at least you have them, right? They're like your ride or die homies. Like they won't they won't stab you in the back because they know that you helped them out previously. And they so. had the best possible argument to recruit. This dude literally died, died. for us. Yeah. And we got to have his back now. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> They're all like, your logic makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That enough, we understand. Jamie and Braun arrive at River Run to see the phrase threatening to kill the Blackfish's nephew unless he yields. They take control of the siege and demand a parley. I was glad to see Braun back. Yep. Yep. He had been gone for He's a long time. Ron's a man. He's like he's he he gets to be everything that you would want to be in this sort of world mm-hmm. without the responsibility. <laughs> you right. Know? He's just like kind of like the hand of Jamie Lannister, sort of, but also the hand that gets to have the most fun. He and Jamie have a great dynamic. Too. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Because Jamie's like the straight guy, yeah. and Braun is like the comedic relief. But even when you put Braun with Podrick, it's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, he's yeah. just. He is great. He's yeah. a good compliment to a yeah. lot of characters on the show. Few people can talk to Jamie like Bron can, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jamie will tolerate few people right. talking to him yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Bron yeah. can. Complete insolent tone, and and he just sort of takes it. It's his, it's his boy. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it was nice to see the Blackfish too, because like you hear about him in like hushed tones, like he's this legend, and you finally get to see him. Maybe not in action, but mm-hmm. at least in part, because you see him like standing at the castle gates and like he's his son or what is it? Nephew. His son, nephew, nephew being paraded in front of him. And he's just like, fuck him. Fuck it. I don't <laughs> Kill him. Let us throw it. We got food for two years. What are you going to do? Yeah. We'll wait you out. 
John, Sansa, and Davos appear in the court of Lady Mormont to ask for troops, but despite her young age, she's a total badass. Oh, this is like the debut of the most loved character of season six, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, she's just such a boss bitch. She's just like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm 10 years old, but I'm the house of, I'm the head of the house Mormont. Yeah. And you've got like, she's got her advisors to either side of her and like, She's just so confident. Just no reason to not be like the boss that she is. Yep. And it was awesome to see that because it's like for such a young girl to be the head of a house, you would expect her to be sort of inexperienced and unable to handle herself. Yeah. She's totally capable. It it shows it's funny to see the difference between her, who's Mm -hmm. probably even younger. Well, definitely younger. And then uh, was it Robin in The Veil? yeah, yeah. And he's just been pampered and incompetent, totally like, incompetent. Yeah. yeah. And she's like owning everything. And she knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. And then to have her be like so confident and then like have John ask for the men. <laughs> he's like, how many men will House Mormont be it's sending? Like 37. It's like something. 62. Something like that. Yeah. It's like 62. And she says it so confidently, like, and everybody in the room is just kind of like, wait, what? 62. Did you mean 6,200? Right. <laughs> uh, 662? Yeah. Are these like. She's like, our guys fight with the strength of 10 men. Yeah. And then Davos has the best response. Oh, <laughs> they're anything like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're good. Davos is there to sort of like. Be and like, he's the right. one that brokers the whole deal too. Yeah. Pretty much. One thing that happens, I, I generally with children actors, when they're given a role where they have to show strength like that, mm-hmm. you get some actors who are really ahead of their age and, and they're fine actors and they can really portray it. But I find when people have to be that sort of strong-handed, confident, kid actors tend to come out obnoxious. It turns me off a lot of times when yeah, you have these children actors. Because if somebody ever talked to you like that, you'd slap them in the face. Mm-hmm. If they, she, this, this child that they've, they've cast in this role speaks with such like maturity and strength. She she's acting like she's been acting for 35 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, she comes out there and just you believe her. That's why I think everybody because she's so believable and yet how does she have all that strength and all of that wisdom at her young age? But she does it and you believe it. You buy it completely and she does it in a way where definitely not one but you would never call her obnoxious. I know Robin is supposed to be obnoxious. She is just what a what a, I'd love to see where she ends up acting because that just this performance between from when she appears and then through the end of the season is just spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, the context of the story, it also makes sense because mm. her, I think the Lord command, former Lord commander was her grandfather mm-hmm. and Jorah was maybe is her uncle, her mm-hmm. uncle. Right. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of like the strong, positive father figures in her life have been gone for a long time. I don't know anything about her father or who he was. But, I mean, presumably he's not there anymore because she's the head of the house. Right. So she's been dealing with all of the BS that comes before her for quite a while. And that says a lot about who surrounds her as well. So House Mormon, definitely respect. Totally. It makes a ton of sense in story for why that character would be like that. The acting chops of the young lady playing that role were just, I was blown away. She was so good. Back at River Run, Jamie chats with the Blackfish, who stubbornly refuses to yield. That's a quick exchange. Yeah, it's basically like, will you yield? No. No. <laughs> Not <laughs> Moving <right>. on. <laughs> John, Sansa, and Davos ask House Glover for their aid, which they refuse. Yeah, they straight up were just like, nope, we know what this guy is capable of, and we don't want to oppose him in any way. It's kind of like the chicken shit way out. 
but also that house did pledge their loyalty to House Stark. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that's a bitch move. Like, what are you doing? And they get called for it later. You what might die. Doing? Yeah, you might die later anyway. Like, what, what's the problem? Yeah. Theon, Yara, and their forces have stopped momentarily at a bar in Volantis. They plan to go from here to meet the Dragon Queen before Euron can get to them, which is something we didn't touch on earlier. Euron has intentions of seeking out Daenerys and marrying her and merging their forces so that he can take the Iron Throne. And so Theon and Yara go to try to, try to preempt him somehow by mm-hmm. saying, we at least got these hundred ships. You know, we'll help you out in exchange. You take our uncle Euron out. I thought this was a great scene. Um, the scene between Euron or not Euron, uh, Theon and Yara, where like, they kind of like have that exchange about him losing his confidence. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I love the shit out of you, but if you can't man the fuck up mm. and just go slit your wrists, kill yourself somehow, because I don't have a use for you right now. This whole process from him returning back to the Iron Islands has been almost his deprogramming from being weak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cause he's trying to like, shed that persona but you can you see it repeatedly totally his head the the head bowing and the sort of like shying away from strong figures Mm -hmm. and yara is like a one of the strongest figures i think and she but she loves the shit out of her brother like she's like i like i'll do anything for you she has yeah you need to back me up on this because it's just us now we don't have our father. We don't have our family even. It's just us. Mm-hmm. So help me out. And like, you know, the whole thing about like drink, drink, drink. Like that's just a great way to like get somebody to do what you want. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like every time you say something, you should be like drink. You're just like, oh. And then the whole scene where she's like, I'm going to go fuck the tits off of this one. I was like, <laughs> yeah, Yara, Yara the boss. And a total missed opportunity. I mean, she's a pirate and her name is Yara. Yarrah. <laughs> oh boy. Yarrah. The Hound and Septon Ray's band of villagers are in the middle of a sermon when three members of the Brotherhood arrive to extort them. And uh Septon Ray's awesome. Yeah, he's just kinda like, uh, we got food. Yeah. You, you can stay. You can stay for dinner. That's but, all we got. But it's all we got. And they're just like, All right, well, be good. Because the night is dark and full of terrors. That's when we <laughs> learned that, you know, they're, they're a part of the Brotherhood without banners, right? Mm-hmm. And then from what I gather from my book reading friends, the guy with the yellow cloak, the mm-hmm. one who does most of the talking, his name is Leon Lemoncloak. Okay. And I believe he's tied to a theory behind how Catelyn Stark comes back as... Uh, Lady Stoneheart? Lady Stoneheart. Um, That was a big rumor floating around for the last few seasons where, like, is she going to come back? Because she is tied to the Brotherhood Without Banners. And so seeing him was kind of like a brief tease of, like, Mm. oh, maybe she's coming back. But she ends up not. So At least not this season. At least not so far. Right, right, right. We have no idea. Arya books passage on a ship to leave Bravos at dawn when an old lady approaches and stabs her several times before revealing herself to be the waif. She escapes into the water and holds her wounds as she walks through the market, but no one helps her. Yeah. And that was like, everybody saw it coming, right? All the viewers saw it coming. As soon as they saw the old lady, they're like, Arya, run! Yeah. Like, you knew that was the waif. Like, you yeah. knew it was going to happen. Oh, the yeah. The way that she was looking at her. It was so obvious. It's kind of I mean, like, it's obvious that it wouldn't be 
so obvious to Arya, yeah. but as a production, like pointing us in that direction, right, it was very the obvious. Outside, yeah. Yeah. Like when you're playing a video game and then you see a part of the wall that's a different color, yeah, and you're like, oh, there's something behind there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was exactly the same. Yeah, in, yeah same. Or any sort. cartoon where certain elements uh, or old cartoons where they weren't the <laughs> painted background yeah, 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 yeah. and they were actually drawn in afterwards. Yeah, like, oh, somebody's know. coming out of there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, after chopping wood in the forest, the hound returns to the settlement to find the entire band slaughtered with the septon hanging from a beam. He grabs an axe from a tree stump and storms off. The hound goes super saiyan. <laughs> I, <laughs> he just like lost his shit, right? Yeah. Like, he just grabs an axe and is like, I'm going to go to fucking town. I felt terrible for him because he, he seemed like he finally found a place that he was at peace. Yeah. And, and I also felt terrible. Well, not terrible for whoever he was going to get, but I knew he was ready to. There was some, some serious shit was going to happen. He yeah. was ready to lay it down. You definitely had the impression that he was finally maybe done with that life. Mm-hmm. And then it just came. It just pulled Those him right guys back in. the bee's nest. And- yeah. Like that Septon, he, he, he even had basically forgiven the hound of anything he had done in his previous <laughs> life. It's like, you're a good man. You do what you do here. And you're and that piece that he was finally finding was all just gone. And I think largely because the Septon touches on, he has a troubled past too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I used to be like you, but look yeah, at yeah. me. Now I'm, I'm living the, the good life. Yep. I'm not very violent. Uh, I've put all of that behind me, and the hound's like, oh, maybe I could do that too. Mm-hmm. Nope. Like, you just, you just get dragged right He was ready in. to, but somebody else dragged him into it. Yeah. And the hound is constantly talking about how they just, like, the universe of the gods just won't let him avoid all this yeah and it's very i mean it's sort of it reflects the sort of religious <laughs> underpinnings of the show right because you have like a purpose for everyone mm-hmm. you know a lot of these religions emphasize that people have certain purposes and it's no more apparent in anyone than the hound because i mean for all intents and purposes he should have died when totally Brienne and Arya left him yep. right but he's not he's perfect like he's as far as we've seen he's perfectly fine he mm-hmm. should have died when his brother burned him at yeah. a young age and he's yeah. From a production standpoint, there was something really interesting about the end of this episode, too, where you have Arya coming up out of the water, uh, walking amongst the market. So she's a person like getting close to death around all these living people staring at her. Mm-hmm. And then you cut to the hound walking, the hound being alive, walking into a village of dead people surrounding him. Yeah. So the, the flip there is interesting. They're like re- mirrors reflected on their, totally. their storylines, right? Yeah. And then seeing the hound just fucking go to town oh, on the Brotherhood awesome. Without Banners. And oh, was- we will get to that, yes. Okay. <laughs> That's next episode. Episode 8. Lady Crane goes backstage after a performance to find Arya wounded and takes her home to patch her up. She had nowhere else to go. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's nice to see that reciprocity and sort of like mm-hmm. thoughtfulness, right? Like, she had no reason to help Arya. Like, if you saw a wounded person like that... Like I like a lot of people would be like your first instinct would be to help them, but then your second instinct would be, why is this person hurt like this? Right. If I help them, especially in this environment, will this somehow come back to bite me? But as we find out later on, she has you know no reason to not help. Right. And, and Arya also had possibly saved her from poison earlier on. So I mean, there is as that far issue. as she knows, yeah. As far as she knows, <laughs> even though she's the one that put right, it there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, members of the Brotherhood are gathered around a fire goofing off when the hound walks in and annihilates them so all. Great. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was Picks for me. Axes. For me of that episode, that was the Overwatch play of the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, he was just like, he's just owning people. Like, those guys presumably are skilled fighters, right? Yeah. Or at least they've been in battle. Mm-hmm. And they just get annihilated. Just 
one guy just gets split in half from the wrong end. Yep. Uh, like another <laughs> first dude just gets straight up decapitated. He just yep. turns around and loses his head. Yeah. And then the and then the hound is like, any last words? And the guy's like, what does he say? At first he's like, fuck you. He's like, are you sure that's what your last words are going to yeah. be? You're shit at dying. And he yeah. goes, Quint. Quint. <laughs> like, you're shit at dying. And I was like, oh, that's the hound. This is like the hound that we love. Yeah. At least for what he does. So it was great. Tyrion and Varys see the good word of Daenerys being spread through Marine, and Varys is heading out on a secret expedition. Nah, so this is like the beginning of the whole what the fuck is Varys and how does he get around the Seven Kingdoms so quickly? I'm sure you've looked into the theories. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, one, one is that he's a mermaid. That's hilarious. Right? That and, to me is hilarious. And yet something that's still within the universe. Yeah. Apparently. It's in it's entirely possible. And I mean, you think about it, he's always wearing those long robes, mm-hmm. right? How does he get around so fast? And that might explain him being a eunuch. Yeah. There's right. been that, that right. bit of lore of, of mermen and whatever. Except for the backstory yeah. that was yeah. laid on him earlier. Yeah. Like, I, my, like, something that I was thinking about um, was that maybe Varys is the multiple man of this universe. You know how multiple, you know who multiple mm-hmm. man is oh, from absolutely, the Marvel universe? Yeah. So, like, he just has copies of himself everywhere Mm -hmm. and so i know that when he references his little birds he's talking about those kids i was thinking the same but what if he's maybe not talking about his kids maybe he's talking about himself in multiple locations right right because we know magic exists Mm -hmm. and that Varys has traveled around the many realms Mm -hmm. at some point he must have run into those people in that magic place Mm -hmm. right Remember that the village or totally. the city from before where yeah. like he, they find magic and there's that one warlock who can like replicate himself. Yep. Well, who's to say that Varys doesn't have that power too? He just hasn't revealed it yet until now. I mean, how is he in so many different places? Yeah. When it, it takes people a long time to get around. Yeah, exactly. Like we You're see talking the, weeks or months to go from place to place on a boat. Yeah. We see the Dothraki, they take, uh, uh, you know, at least a little while to get from place to place on mm-hmm. their own little continent. And then we know that the narrow sea is like very wide. It's right. wide. It, despite its name, it's very wide and it's hard for people to get across. So they need like ships, not just boats. And like he's in, Dorn, and then back on the coast of Marine, yeah, in record time from what yep. we see, at least. So that's my personal theory that he's like somehow a wizard of some kind, or at least endowed with a certain magic. That It'd be freaking great. Does yeah, it'd be awesome if he just like walks it like different copies of him walk into All come like a into room. One. Oh, that'd be so great. They just start walking into each other, and then you just have the one Varus. Yeah, yeah. Members of the Faith Militant have come to the Red Keep to bring Cersei to the High Sparrow. As they advance to take her, the mountain steps in and rips one of their heads off, which Ugh. scares away the rest. That, that scene, my wife talked about that scene for two weeks. We saw another episode of Game of Thrones, and she was still talking about and, and he just ripped his head off. <laughs> it was awesome. That was such an awesome show of power. When the guy hits him in the chest with the mace, yeah. and it sticks in, and, and Sir Gregor just looks at the guy, and you just know that everybody there is probably going to get killed. Yeah. And the way he, he then rips that guy's There was actually off. less death in that scene than Absolutely. I thought there then was you going to be. be. Yeah, but I thought, like, the, everybody was going to die. Yeah. Like, all of those dudes were just fucked. Yeah. And as soon then, as the mace hit his chest, I thought, oh, you're all dead. Yeah, shit's about to get real. And these guys are about to die because the Faith Militant don't do shit. They just have weapons and are intimidating. Right. But they don't necessarily, you don't see them fighting at all. And then for the, for a, a skilled warrior who also happens to be undead to, you know, be the protect, the guy that you have to go up against. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was fucking savage. He just like ripped the guy's head off from like, he reached under the guy's neck. <laughs> yeah. 
and then tore off his head like the predator. Yeah, how the predator yeah. does it. Like it's just fucking savage. But then nothing else happens after that, and you're like, I no. think it makes sense that they don't die because it leads to something that happens yeah. in a scene coming up very I, soon. I also think if you do, if you kill somebody that way and they all run away, let them run away because what's going to happen? They're all going to go and tell people, this dude just fucking ripped somebody's head off with his bare hands. Totally. Now it's not a legend. You're hearing it firsthand from the people who witnessed it. Yeah. Yep. Brienne and Podrick arrive at River Run, where Brienne notices Jamie Lannister among the crowd, probably not expecting to see him. Jamie and Brienne argue over politics and come to an agreement, but unfortunately, the Blackfish remains stubborn and refuses to lend his army to the Starks so he can continue defending River Run. Which, in the end, turns out to be a feudal enterprise, right? It does. Like, it just, the way that Jamie goes about negotiating this process is very smart. Mm. Very un Jamie. Yeah. I mean, from what we've seen. Much more Tyrion. Yeah. yeah, it's much more Tyrion than Jamie. But, uh, yeah, the, the interaction between Brienne and Jamie is, it was a nice, refreshing, positive moment, right? Because mm-hmm. you see them like, and then you see Jamie's face sort of change. Like his face is, he goes from like, the calculating killer to like my friend there's a fierce loyalty between them yeah they are so like they are bros except not bros i don't know what (laughs) this this is where she goes to give him back the sword yeah uh and he says no no um you've earned that sword you yours yeah that's like a really huge because i mean that was like his birthright that sword and for him to just give it no no that's your sword that's a huge moment it's such a great moment yeah because it's like oh these people really are friends yeah like and then they talk about later, like I have a duty to fight you if this if it comes down to it. And Jamie's like, let's just hope it doesn't come to that. It's like, oh, you guys really are friends. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. I really love that. It's been a while since they've seen each other, yeah. and you think that over time things might shift from when they last saw each other. But no, that loyalty is just as strong as yeah. when they last parted. And it's great to see that kind of friendship, and especially in this environment. Totally. In the throne room, a royal announcement is made by Tommen. He declares the location of Cersei and Ser Loris's trial and adds that trial by combat is now forbidden in all seven kingdoms. Uh, yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. like the... That's the repercussion of the mountain, the mountain tearing off that dude's head. Yeah, like, I mean, it would have been nice to see trial by combat, but I also see like how that pushes the story forward. Yeah, right. Because the mountain is kind of like... The nobody, mountain wins. Nobody's going to beat him. <laughs> no. Like he's, it's literally like moving a mountain. Nobody's going to beat him. And now he's somehow like undead mountain. Like nobody's going to get close enough to cut that head off or do whatever you need to do to stop a zombie. So the only thing I want is the mountain around long enough to throw him against white walkers. Oh, that'd be, that's going to be great. Yeah. Like just put him in a, in a suit of Valerian steel, Valerian steel (laughs) sword. He's just going to like, just like a wrecking ball. Be like, we don't have an army. We have a Hulk. <laughs> yeah. This is our Hulk. He's purple. Yeah. That, that whole deal with the, uh, you know, where Tommen says that we're going to ban trial by combat. It really is that that ebb and flow of, of the control of things. So mm. you're seeing, all right, now things are certainly back in Cersei's in her favor with the mountain. And you know, he's in it. Oh, no, now there's no trial by combat. All right, now what's she going to do? She's going to be tried by the High Scepter. The, the the Seven will, will try her. She's obviously going to be found guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now what? 
And and obviously that's answered sooner than later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was very much Tommen putting Cersei to death almost. Yeah, which is weird because he was very much earlier in the season like, I haven't been able to protect my mother right. or my wife. It was an odd shift. Like, why are you now all of a sudden like going in that direction? Like, I would think that you would do everything in your power to make sure that your mother is kept safe. Look, dude, if I was married to Natalie Dormer, I would do whatever the hell she said. I also <laughs> think that he, while while Marjorie was playing the game with High Scepter, uh, I think he was too naive, and I think he, I think yeah. he's he's hooks, line, and sinker, fallen under their under their counsel. Like under, the the High Sparrow is somehow motive or like convinced him yes. that this is the right way. Yep. And this yeah. is how you save your soul, your family's soul. Yeah. This is how you get atonement for your wife. Her He's brother. very much still a kid. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I understand that. And, and his wife is telling him, we have to listen because she's playing the game. Yeah. So in addition, he's really just fallen under that influence. And he's not reading through the lines. He's just right. Like, exactly. He's like, okay, I do this, and then we go, we go to do do naughty time in the yeah. bed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he, does, he doesn't understand yeah. that there's all this all this underlying uh, influence going yeah. on. He thinks it's still a spade is a spade. Back in Marine, Tyrion is chatting with the rest of the council when the Master's naval fleet arrives. I really like that interaction, like right before the mm-hmm. the, the the bombardment begins. Like they're like, "Tell us a joke, <laughs> tell us a funny joke." I feel like Tyrion ha- is a, a crowbar, just trying to get these two to open up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, it's hilarious to see like Grey Worm try to tell a joke. Yeah. And he's very much like the straightest straight man that you've ever seen totally. in a comedy. He's just like. Yes, that was a joke. I've never told one before. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> He's more awkward at telling jokes than Data is, and Data yeah. doesn't have emotions, <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. Jamie talks with Edmir Tully and threatens his family, forcing him to cooperate. Edmir approaches the gate alone, and in blind loyalty, his men open the gate and allow him in. He orders the surrender of his men, and Jamie's forces enter and seize control. The Blackfish is killed while Brienne and Podrick escape and sail away. Jamie allows their escape, and they both wave goodbye as they go, which is one more show of yeah. broship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, that whole conversation between Edmure and Jamie, that was, like, the darkest savagery that oh, I've yeah. ever seen from Jamie. Because he's just like, listen, I know you have a baby. I'll catapult that baby over the wall, and I'll keep doing it. Yeah. I'll keep doing it until that baby is nothing. Like, that to me was just like, holy shit, Jamie really is still dark and mm-hmm. demented inside. Like, he'll do whatever it takes, I guess, to get back to Cersei, which is what he says. He's the reason, his motivation behind doing all of this. Right, like, right. I guess he's maybe not a terrible person, but in order to go and be with his sister wife, that's somehow a legitimate like, I don't know. It's like incest is somehow like. Do you think a small portion of that motivation was not having to go kill Brienne? I think so. Yeah, I think. Even was, though he didn't state it. Like, he didn't say it, but I knew it, he knew it was an inevitability if he mm-hmm. had to storm the castle. If he was somehow successful in getting in, he would have to face Brienne or somebody would have to face Brienne at some point, And then something would have to happen. I think maybe Brienne's presence is what led to Jamie doing the non-Jamie thing here. Yeah. yeah he could have easily stormed the castle oh, yeah. and taken it. Granted, the Freys are not the most competent force to go in with. Well, but the Lannisters, I mean, he had the entire Lannister army. Right, right. And that's like, what, thousands of dudes, This is right? true, yeah. So, I mean, this is just one castle. And the, the implication is that they wouldn't be able to get in for a very long time, mm-hmm. but they might eventually be able to get in. So, yeah, definitely, like, Brienne's presence and the inevitability of their conflict if he was successful, mm-hmm. which he has no other 
recourse but to be successful sure is a, a strong motivation and then seeing that like Brienne leave and then like Jamie wave that wave is very much like reminiscent of like either Lionel Richie yeah. or like uh, <laughs> or Adele you know it's like hello <laughs> it's me <laughs> it was very touching yeah and like it's I mean it's one of the better parts of the show I mm-hmm. think to see Jamie and Brienne's relationship like that very much of like it's a it's a man woman relationship mm-hmm. that's very much based on friendship and yep. loyalty to each other yeah and it's not based on any sort of like weird marriage between the houses and right, or just right. like this lustful relationship it's very much just like a friendship one that i mean i think a lot of people would love to have because yeah. it's just like fierce loyalty and like this undying friendship and out of all the friendships that exist within the show this is this is the capulet montague yeah. relationship where like their political leanings are totally different absolutely like they are on opposite sides of the spectrum yeah literally so like for them to be the best friends is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. I'm very interested to see how that all plays out. Yeah. And again, forward. That's, again, I think it's another big part of the intrigue of the show itself. When you have a show that's gone six seasons now so far, if you have characters that who haven't developed and haven't changed and had life altering things that change their, their personalities, how they interact with other people, it gets boring. Yeah. The fact that you have these characters that Jamie has, while you still see, he has that dark heart, but he's had so many, Things that have happened in his life, a lot of which with Brienne that have changed him the way they have. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps characters interesting. Why you want to keep knowing more about their story and seeing where it's going to go. And it goes for a lot of the major characters. And I think that's why people care about them so much and are so fiercely loyal to the show. Absolutely. Once again, we return to Marine, where the fleet has started an all-out assault. A loud noise is heard on top of the pyramid and Daenerys enters from a balcony just like, what the fuck is going on in my house? It's like a mom coming home to a party that she didn't authorize. <laughs> yeah. Like she just steps in and is like, what is going on? Clean this mess up right now. <laughs> like she just like, and you know, like it's Drogon and, and Daenerys, but when you hear that thump, you're just like, oh no, maybe right, they're right. going to get bombed out of their building. But yeah, that, that, that look on Daenerys' face is very much like, what my mother looked like totally. at some point during high school. <laughs> she would come home and be like, what is going on? I did not I did not give you permission to do this. The hound comes across the three brotherhood men who killed the villagers about to be hung by the brotherhood who explain that they went rogue and are being punished for it. Yeah. They then attempt to recruit the hound to their cause, convincing him to do so as they are heading north to counter the White Walkers. Yeah, so like the whole interaction with the hound here is like the hound is just single-minded he's like i want to kill these motherfuckers yeah in fact he says it he's like i don't want them just to die they're mine yeah Yeah. he's like there was a time when i would have where i would have killed all seven of you just to kill these three Mm -hmm. but then he's like all right i'll let you kill two of them (laughs) (laughs) like like it's such like a weird bartering system well first he's like one he's like two yeah and it's like it's reminiscent of that scene remember like when he was with Arya at that inn Mm -hmm. he's like do you have any chickens I want five chickens. It's like, okay, weird <laughs> request, but all right. Like, I want to kill all three of these guys. You yeah. get one, two, Fine, deal. two. <laughs> but you have to hang them. Yeah. And it's like this like weird exchange. And I don't know if that's respect for the Brotherhood or if that's just the hounds, the new hound being like, all right, I don't have to kill everyone. To I get think what it's I want. more so that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's it's interesting because the Brotherhood without banners, right? They serve the Lord of Light, mm-hmm. and so how that is going to factor into the Hound, 
eventually meeting up with his brother because that's one of the big things that people wanted to see from this season. Right. They call it quote unquote Clegane Bowl. Right. Right. Clegane Bowl 2016. Like (laughs) have the two, the mountain and the hound face off against each other because that's their inevitable. Like it's just the presumed inevitability of their meeting and Mm -hmm. one of them Mm -hmm. dying. Right. So like how that works between the, the followers of the Lord of the light and the mountain currently being in King's landing, how that works out is, it's all weird now because mm-hmm. if he had if the people at what the septon who served the seven pointed or the seven gods or whatever mm-hmm. that religion that would have made sense because he would have served that religion that religion is already in king's landing he may have eventually made his way there and then click sure. rainbow right but like now he's serving the lord of light and it's like now is the hound going to be more of a tool to fight the white walkers how is he going to eventually, you know, meet up with the mountain? Right, right. It's like a weird sort of. Like, well, we don't know if he's going to stay there either. Yeah, like I mean, he is sort of like the old hound, the old, the new old hound. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Hybrid hound. Yeah, yeah. Arya is still recovering at Lady Crane's when she hears a crash in the next room. She gets up to find Lady Crane dead with the waif standing in the doorway. A chase leads them both through the market into the tunnel that Arya was previously hiding in. As the waif approaches, Arya slices a candle, essentially killing the lights. The faceless man notices a trail of blood leading into the Hall of Faces and sees that the waif's face has been added. As he says that, finally, a girl is no one. Arya proclaims herself as Arya Stark of Winterfell and that she's going home. Yeah. Very much like her, like we were talking about. Like yeah. Her ascension to the cape and cowl, sort of, yep. so to yep. speak. Like. And it was interesting to see like her fight with the waif, and it's like kind of like that fight with Raish and very much begins. So. It's yeah. like I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, of course, she's not like that. She just killed the killed the girl, <laughs> <laughs> skinned her face off, and was like, "Ah, I win." Episode nine. Daenerys is initially unpleased with returning to find Marine being attacked, but understands what Tyrion is doing. Surprisingly. Yeah, I think she's finally starting to understand how things work. Mm-hmm. and she, Or starting to just trust Tyrion more. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely trusting Tyrion more because she's seen him do what he does and does it well. Mm-hmm. And so maybe delegating the power a little bit more now and learning how to be a ruler instead of just simply trying to do everything herself. Sure. They again meet with the masters who demand their surrender while Daenerys demands the same of them. Drogon appears at her side, taking to the sky with Viserion and Rhaegal, and all three dragons incinerate the attacking fleet. Yeah. (laughs) And this is, like, finally, like, this is what they should be doing, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of, like, trying to negotiate with no violence or just be completely 100% violent. Right. Send a message somehow and in a way that is so impactful that, that the masters are kind of forced to give up and move on from slavery right because like they do it in such a smart way right like they're like gray worm is like i'm gonna kill two of you or i'm gonna kill one of you pick one and then like he has that 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 one slaver that sold Tyrion in the first place mm-hmm. it's like uh and then he gets out on his knees and they then, force him down they, yeah. they nominate him for uh for himself yeah mm-hmm. and he sort of just like takes to his knees and then the other two get killed and then you send that one slaver away you know like tell everyone what happened here today because Mm -hmm. if you continue slavery this is what's going to happen to you and those dragons 
Like they did not stop on that boat. No. Like they were just like incinerating the fuck out of that boat. It was funny when I think it was Tyrion said something along the lines of thank you for the ships. The the queen yeah. loves her fleet. I'm like, what fleet? They're, those are toast. Well, I mean, the dragons only focused on one boat. Oh, okay. Because Daenerys was on Drogon and she said whatever they say in Valerian and right, the dragons right. just started incinerating that one boat. But they were doing it like, okay, the boat is burnt. You don't have to burn. Nope. Okay. Dragons. We're going to keep burning. Dragons do what dragons do. Yeah. Like they just like, it's just like flamethrowers just raining down from the sky. And that one boat, that poor boat, the people on that boat are just like, stop. We get it. No more slaves. But yeah, that was a cool moment. And it was the, what they had to resort to because th- there was that conversation prior to with Daenerys and Tyrion mm-hmm. where he convinced her not to be like her father. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And you can't just go around killing innocent people yeah, just because it serves your ultimate purpose. And she seemed more receptive to that. Totally. I mean, in the beginning, or there were a few episodes prior where Tyrion made uh, comparisons to what she was doing to what the Mad King was doing. Right, And she right. sort of took offense to it. She was like, I'm not going to be like him. I, I know exactly who that guy was, and I'm going to be nothing like him. But then maybe she's seen her capacity for evil mm-hmm. and is like, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I should take a back seat and do something a little different because right, otherwise right. I will end up like him. Do something more surgical than just laying carpet bombs everywhere. Yeah, because it's like you literally have a lot of the same tools that the Mad King has. You just need to choose which path you take. Yep. Meanwhile, the Dothraki storm Marine to destroy the Sons of the Harpy. Yeah. We don't see the full extent of that, but right. it's it's suggested it's enough implied, yeah. for us to get the idea. It's like a wave of horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John and Sansa meet with Ramsay outside Winterfell. John challenges Ramsay to settle things one on one, but he refuses. To prove he has Rickon, he tosses the head of his direwolf onto the ground, at which Sansa tells Ramsay that he's going to die tomorrow before yeah. riding off. That was badass. Mm-hmm. This is another good scene with Lady Mormont. Mm. She's just like giving him, giving Ramsey that scowl. And that's made its way around the internet pretty prevalently. Yeah. Like that look on her face. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, you tell him. <laughs> you tell him. You don't like say the, anything. Uh, I like the exchange too, where John is like, well, if you're not going to die for them, then why would your armies die for you? Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. good. I, I just imagine uh, like Daniel be like, yo. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're good. They kind of had like uh, an exchange. Like, I mean, of course, there were more people there, but it kind of reminded me a little of that exchange in Heat mm. between De Niro and Pacino. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And they're both kind of like, there's going to come a time when, <laughs> when I got to get, when I got to kill you, you know? Except, I mean, their rapport was obviously right, less right. than friendly. But yeah, that was a good scene. While planning their strategy, Davos stresses how important it is for Ramsay's forces to advance at them. Outside the camp, Davos finds the remains of the bonfire used to sacrifice Shireen Baratheon. Yeah. And I expected him to get a little bit more pissed than he was. Maybe go after the Red Priestess, like, Mm. just by himself. and like. Yeah, although I feel like she's, even though she's guilty of this, and he's kind of out for blood in a way... Mm -hmm. She's done some, like, bringing John back is kind of a big... Yeah. You've done us a solid... Yeah. Maybe we should, like, forgive you a little. Yeah, yeah. But this- fi- finding the burnt stag, though, was totally rubbing salt in the wound. Oh, absolutely. That. I mean, that was, he had made that for yeah. her, and to find it burnt, he knew that she had it with her when she burned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awful. 
And that was a good scene too. Just kind of like the start of a possible rift between the Starks because you see Sansa and John in the war room. And then Sansa just being like, you don't understand him. Like he's going, he wants you to do what you're trying to do. And then her just being really confident, but at the same time, not knowing exactly what she's doing. Right. Like I don't understand battle, but I know him and you're not listening to me. And like also her keeping things from John at that point. Right. Right. Like she knew, like she had written that note previously. And as we saw from the 10,000 articles on the internet, that came out after that episode aired that the somebody had deciphered the note and saw that it was to Littlefinger requesting the help of the Knights of the Vale. Mm-hmm. And so she's already hiding things from John that could have potentially benefited John. Mm. Even though, I mean, obviously in the end it did help him, but she's hiding things from John and maybe there isn't as strong a trust as there might have been between Starks, you know, had she not kept anything from him. Sure. But, yeah, there's definitely the, the beginning of a rift between the two, I think. In the throne room in Marine, Yara and Theon have arrived to speak with Daenerys. They offer their assistance in exchange for allowing the Iron Islands their freedom. Daenerys proposes that uh, they will support her claim as Queen of the Seven Kingdoms and quit their reaving, roving, raiding, and raping, to which they agree. And this is uh, what we had talked about earlier, where the Masters and Marine were being allowed the seven years to adjust to their way of life that they've always known, yet Daenerys here is like, that needs to stop now. Yeah. But I think that's just Daenerys realizing the position that she's in. Right. They're coming to her for help. So, I mean, if they want true, our, if true. they want my help, then they've got to do what I say. Mm-hmm. It's not the other way around where the power dynamic is lopsided. But I, I love this scene. Like, this scene to me was just like, the interaction between Daenerys and Yara was fantastic. Yeah. Like, it was just like, we we see eye to eye. We both have fathers who were terrible people. We both have kingdoms that were stripped from us. We're both very powerful women yep. in ways that rival a lot of the the men in this world. Right, right. And we're going to help each other get what we want. And then they sort of have this friendship bond moment. And that line from Yara where she's just like, well, I wouldn't force anything, but I'm open to anything. Right, right. Like that to me was just like. Well, we've seen Yara anyway yeah. have a predilection towards women. And just to see that moment, I'm like, Yara, that's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that, that's my girl right there. Cause yeah. she's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm open to anything, but you know, principally let's, let's get back to the Iron Islands and get the, get our throne back in. Priorities. You know, we'll, we'll help you later. Yeah. Yeah. John's forces and Ramsey's forces stand ready on the battlefield. Ramsay walks out in front, towing Rickon behind him. He frees Rickon and orders him to run to John, then readies a bow and arrow and begins firing. John jumps on his horse and rides out to save Rickon, getting close to him just as an arrow pierces Rickon's heart from the back. Filled with rage, John charges in and his forces follow. The armies clash in the middle, tearing each other apart, the dead bodies piling up. As the fight continues, Ramsey's men surround John's forces with a wall of shields and spears slowly advancing and cutting them down. Bastard Bowl 2016, baby! <laughs> it's here! Oh, it's so great to finally see it. And like the, the two things that came out of it were from the internet were, one, he should have zigged when he didn't zag at I all. I had that thought exactly as it was happening. Yeah. Why the hell would you just run straight? I understand he's panicked. I understand he has no experience with life. <laughs> right. <laughs> but still... Because he's been in captivity for, like, the majority of his life. Yeah. Like, just run. 
run in crazy patterns. Yeah. Who cares? Just run from point A to point B in a weird way that you won't get hit by an arrow instead of the straight line. That was one thing. And then also the second thing was like a, a misstep by the editors um, of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that scene where John, you know, when he's mounting his horse to ride out to meet Rickon, mm-hmm. um, you see his sword flop around and they're like, is that Valerian rubber? Because <laughs> oh. it's like a stunt sword, right? Like okay. it's like he's just jumping on the horse. I didn't even notice, honestly. And it's like the, the sword is in the sheath, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just flopping around like rubber when he gets on the horse, and they're like, "Oh, Valerian rubber, I see." Like it's very, it's like a funny thing from the from the uh, battle. But that was a savage battle. It was, that and it was very authentic with the long with the long shields and the yeah. way they worked. Um, that was the the Romans used to use that same technique, yeah, where, and like very successful because the archers couldn't shoot you; just put one level of shields above yeah. you, and that would protect. And they do short swords and spears just to to mow people down. So to see that acted out like that was, yeah and, and you I, know there's a historical background this mm-hmm. is actually a tactic that worked very successful mm-hmm. it was pretty cool to see it and that battle was just so well choreographed yeah I mean, it, it was, completely it was proves sansa's point too yeah. of you don't know him like i do yep. he's a master manipulator he's better at this than you are yep so he's, and he's he gonna got get him. you to do things that he wants you to do in order to get his way eventually yeah and like a lot of things about this battle were fantastic like just john Baseball batting dudes off of horses, like those were awesome. I mean, either John is a beast and we just don't know it, or Valerian Steel is amazing because he was just like <laughs> knocking dudes off of horses. He's super powered now that he's resurrected. Dude, like, okay, so this is my thing, right? Like Jon Snow's secret power after being resurrected is to somehow form a a very small force field around him. Because throughout that entire battle, like arrows were falling around him yeah. in like a dome, like mm-hmm. as if there was a dome around him. People like blades were nearly missing. And when he in. should have been trampled to death within this skirmish, he's somehow comes out. Yeah. Just fine. Well, you certainly could look at it that by being the one person who was able to be resurrected by a priestess of the Lord of Light, he certainly could have the favor of the Lord of Light. And true. if that's true, then maybe that's that whole, all right, he's in favor of, and he is not going, he is destined to make it through this. Mm-hmm. And part of that is going to be. That, protection you know, yeah that protection yeah that'd be awesome just as all seems lost a battle horn is heard in the distance and the knights of the veil summoned by sansa demolish ramsey's forces that looks so great over it's that overhead shot and you just see them mow into that circle yeah. of shields and just mow. Oh, it was and awesome. if i've learned anything from these massive battles from game of thrones and uh lord of the lord rings of the it's rings. always leave a contingent off to the side mm-hmm. that nobody knows about yeah. <laughs> to always ride keep, in later like, Keep a group of skilled fighters in reserve. Yes. Right? Realizing his defeat, Ramsay flees back to Winterfell. The giant smashes through the gates, taking dozens of arrows as he does so. As John looks up at the giant, Ramsay puts a final arrow through its eye. John charges at Ramsay and repeatedly pounds his stupid, smirking face <laughs> into the ground. As a stark banner is hung on the walls, the bodies are slowly being cleaned up. So, uh, did anybody else, when they saw one one come through the gate? think either of stone cold or john cena because <laughs> it's just like the door came down and it was just like when stone cold used to come in and like break the glass and yeah. just like stomp into the, the oh to the I, arena. I, I see the stone cold thing right away or like the john cena he just like kicks down the door and his name is john cena <laughs> <laughs> like it was just like you see that you're like oh one one and then he dies and uh, you're like no because he's like the last one right yeah or something like that something like that like oh, that was just heartbreaking. And, and you didn't know a lot about him, but you still liked him. It was yeah. like you got it. You guys have a giant on your side. It's awesome. And yeah. he did so much for that. In that little bit of time, yeah. Yeah. 
He's like, he was indestructible up until that last point. And that was kind of like the tipping point for John, I think. And then just to see that this, it was so satisfying to see John just like, fuck it. And he just throws down the sword, picks up a shield, blocks arrows, and then just beats the ever loving shit out of the, the one person in this world that deserves it the most. Yes. Like for no other reason than he's just been a giant asshole and he gets pounded into the ground, but just to the point. Like, Jon Snow is such a good brother. Like, he leaves the last slice of pizza for his sister. <laughs> like, he beats the shit out of this dude, and he just looks up at his sister and is like, oh, yeah, you want some. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I can't take all this. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. He he did terrible things to you. You can take this one. So, in that vein, Sansa approaches Ramsay, who's tied up in the dog kennel. She informs him that his house and name will be forgotten just before she watches his hounds tear him apart. And this is an interesting scene, right? Because Ramsey is beaten and bloodied in that chair. And he says, like, I'm always going to be a part of you. Mm -hmm. So that spawned, like, a legion of internet theories. It suggested that that she's she's pregnant pregnant with. Is she pregnant? Is maybe Ramsey, does Ramsey have some sort of, like, Stockholm Syndrome hold over Sansa in some way? Like, will she act out as Ramsey acts out I think it's more immediate than that. You think it's, like. I think it's her letting the hounds kill him and walking away with the smirk on her face. Yeah. I think it's an immediate satisfaction of that statement. It's a very like satisfying for the viewers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he's used those dogs for such terrible things to see a cute dog. I mean, when it was, when it was like on its, on its hind legs, just looking at Ramsey as a dog that I would want, just Mm -hmm. even though I know what it's about to do, (laughs) but I thought it was great too. He even in his last moments, he he has that Ramsey Bolton cockiness where he goes, "They're my hounds. They will never attack me. Yeah, they're well trained. They're well trained. They won't attack me." And she's like, "They haven't eaten in however many days." Who opened the damn gates? Is what I want to know. I don't know, like <laughs> magic, right? Yeah, suspension of disbelief opened those gates. I don't I know guess. what happened. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, I initially did think that he was referring to a pregnancy or something. Yeah, but then I was like, the time that's passed. Since they, since she escaped from yeah. him originally, she would at least traveling to the wall, uh-huh. like all over the place that they've ridden. Time has passed. Yeah. So yeah, there would be way more evidence than there is. Episode ten, season finale time. Oh. <laughs> the great sept is starting to fill with everyone for the trials of Cersei and Sir Loras. Sir Loras confesses to his crimes and devotes his life to the faith militant. At the Red Keep, the mountain prevents Tommen from leaving his chamber, where Cersei also remains. Did you have suspicions right away? I think in the beginning, when we saw everybody getting ready and um, putting on their finest attire, mm-hmm. the it was a nice sp- supercut of everyone getting dressed. The High Sparrow donning his cleanest potato sack. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was like his was the shortest. Right. He just yeah. threw it over his head. He's like. I'm good to go. Good. Mm -hmm. But then everybody else getting dressed and like, but then the process through which Cersei was getting dressed. I mean, you saw that her dress was completely black, Mm -hmm. whereas you've never seen that before. She's a Lannister. She always wears red and gold. That's like her thing, right? True. And she's wearing black and like she's adorned with like silver. And it's very much like, oh, maybe I'm getting ready for a funeral. I don't know who's yet, but I'm getting ready for a funeral. And you, you just get this like impression. Like to me- as a very, I'm a very strong sympathizer towards like a Darth Vader, mm-hmm. right? To me, it was very much like Vader getting prepped at the end of the 
prequels, which will not be named. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. you know, where he's being like suited up in Darth Vader's as right, Darth right. Vader. And you see Cersei getting ready in the same sort of manner. And like, I didn't know she was going to do what she did. I knew that she was, she had looked into the wildfire, but I had no idea that she was going to do what she did. There was even the mention we didn't say as we were going through, but there was the quick mention from her advisor or whatever his role is. Yeah. The, yeah. A maester of sorts. Her maester, right? Yeah. yeah he, he mentions that whatever they were looking into, there's more. It's true. Much yeah. more. I thought I thought the uh, the silver epaulets that she had on either shoulder it was almost like armor on her shoulder mm-hmm. was so such a cool like badass yeah. look for her. Uh, the one thing I think that not enough people have brought up about this episode the score for this episode oh yeah was brilliant it, it probably was. the best it music was. of the entire season because every note meant something to the story it really just added so much more. There were times where there was no music at all mm-hmm. and when it would come in it was just the right accent and stuff. It was it was. As a musician, it was like one of the most powerful things is for that episode. Well, the first 20 minutes, right? That whole sort of soundtrack to the first 20 minutes that started off as just like the drums and then the, the whole or the, you know, the brass and the winds and yeah. then eventually moving to like the cellos yep. and having that be sort of like the, the lead up to what eventually happens yeah. is like totally. It, it Amazing. totally built it up. Absolutely. A little bird leads brother Lancel into the tunnels below the sept where he injures Lancel by stabbing him. Marjorie suspects that something is wrong when Cersei and Tommen are not in attendance and attempts to leave, but the sparrows prevent anyone from leaving. Brother Lancel sees three candles sitting in a pool of wildfire, but with his injuries, he's unable to reach them in time. They ignite barrels of wildfire, which ignite the great sept, killing everyone inside. The uh, the way it rises up on the high sparrow looked like a sci-fi movie. And you just see him disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it, everything just is incinerated in this green fire. And like probably the best 20 minutes of television this year, if not ever. I mean, just leading up to that big yeah. reveal and then just all of a sudden from going from not caring about the storyline in King's Landing to very much caring about what's happening in King's Landing for Cersei to become sort of like the Walter White of mm-hmm. this series. <laughs> yeah. You know, like she's been pushed into a corner and she finally just pushed back in a big way. And to see that event happen basically through her eyes after you see it happening and then you shoot out to the Red Keep and you see her watching it happen. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And it's so good. If the listeners haven't seen it yet, I mean, I'm sure you have at some point. <laughs> Look up uh, like Game of Thrones play of the game. Not, <laughs> we were talking about this previously, but the play of the, this is a, a meme that started from Overwatch and Many people have made it into like a sort of 30 second video clip that is very satisfying. Yeah. You can find them on YouTube if you look up like Cersei play of the game. I'll put it in the show notes too. It's so great. Yeah, it really is. And I know uh, it, it was a victory of sorts because as fans, we wanted the High Sparrow out of the way and the Faith Milton out of the way too. We talked about how much of a drain they were on the plot of King's Landing, mm-hmm. but it felt somewhat empty when marjorie died in the same event there was a lot of collateral damage i mean lord Tyrell is gone marjorie is gone there were a lot of characters who were sort of important characters and not maybe not important characters but could be mm-hmm. sort of in that same area i mean you know sir loris was there you had um, a number of the the different people you'd seen as part of that we also had um the grand maester was killed as part of the plot as right, well right right you know so that was another thing that happened leading up to that where a bunch of the the children 
brought him down to speak with. They're getting him to follow, and he runs into that other maester who is who's uh, Cersei's maester, and those kids just like like vultures. Just like on him. That was him, that yeah. was that was really disturbing. Just the way it went when I first saw it. After a couple episodes, it was watching it a few times. The first time, I, I was taken aback by just how vicious those kids were. Mm. And can we talk about how these kids did that just for some candy? Yeah, that's a little odd, right? That's insane. Like this maester just went from like. Uh, these were Varys's little birds, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so Varys, originally, yeah. I mean, we don't know how Varys coerced these kids into doing what they did, right? But then we know that this sort of dark maester, whoever I forget his name, but this dark maester did it by just like feeding them like candied plums or something, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you've got child soldiers working for you. It, it didn't ring very true to me. But that was, whole scene bothered me because a, like you said, it yeah. doesn't seem believable, and b, like that guy doesn't feel all that important like he's been around but whether he lives or dies i don't care well i mean he's done some dark shit that's yeah. why he he's not a maester yeah but like he's kind of become cersei's dark maester but he was like, the one who elev- he was the one who brought back the mountain the mountain yeah right he was the one who brought well i'm home. talking about the guy that they killed like i don't oh, care whether oh, he Julian lives or Gloucester. dies yeah yeah, yeah. Glover. yeah he was kind of like a, a sort of a throwaway character but i mean that's just goes to show this is kind of like the scene where Cersei cleans house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She eliminated, I think, everyone that crossed her in King's Landing, right? Pretty much. In one I mean, shot, yeah. she was able to do a lot of it with, you know, by eliminating All but the one who, he, uh, who she purposely kept out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but, but, you know, this is Cersei kind of like how Cersei got her groove back. So to speak, right? <laughs> that is, is a fucked up groove. This is like how Cersei becomes re becomes Beyonce. Like she was Beyonce, and then she had like a lull in her career, and now she's back, right? Because she's eliminated everyone that got in her way, and now she's back in black, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, she has been black, right? Completely fierce. This is true. Cersei torments Septa Unella and leaves her restrained in a room with the mountain as she leaves, chanting. Shame. And now the ma- the mountains work on the magic dick. <laughs> now this is this is a satisfying scene, but also sort of disturbing. Yeah. Right? Because like it's satisfying because you hate Septon Unella because mm-hmm. she's just kind of like this like bland sort of ugh, like you don't like her for any reason. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to sympathize with her. And so she's being basically waterboarded with wine, right? Yep. Which yeah. is kind of fucked up. Because it's already <laughs> something she's sworn away from alcohol, and yeah. now you're pouring that in her face. And then you invite the mountain in who finally takes off his helmet for the first time. Right. Which is kind of weird because it in, it sort of implies that maybe the mountain is about to do something unsavory mm-hmm. in, you know, the way that it might be like sort of like weird zombie rape. And that's not cool, right? <laughs> right I, I mean, I right. thought we had gone up, like moved away from that from like season one and season two. I honestly two. think the helmet reveal was purely for the audience. Yeah, I think so too. But I, I do was, I do think that when she said, this is your God now, I do think it was the unsavory one. I completely think that that was, I mean, she is supposed to be a chaste woman who, mm-hmm. you know, is given everything for, yeah. for, so to have this undead creature, so that's an abomination of their God already. Right. And he's going to come in and he's going to, he's going to have his physical way with you. I think that's completely what happened. And I think they left it hanging for good reason. I mean, obviously they don't want to point it in yeah. one direction or the other. Like personally, I was just like, oh, maybe he's just going to like eat her arms and legs or something because he is. A magical zombie creature. <laughs> I just thought he was going to torture her or something. Yeah, like torture her, beat her, somehow like put her in a position where she's just finally broken. Mm-hmm. Great scene, nope, though. my head went the other way, and I was thinking <laughs> it was going to be exactly where you initially went with it. Yeah. I, I think that's what happened. 
I, I think Especially I with the shame. I mean, I know it was just a call back to what, yeah. but with the shame, shame, and then closes the door. Mm-hmm. And then you hear those blood curdling screams. I just really didn't want it to be that because it's like, uh, I thought we moved past that game. Of right, like, right. Come on. Tommen witnesses the destruction of the Great Sept and filled with grief, jumps from his window to his death. Reverse which was nasty plunge. The, the, the timing of it, uh-huh. like the hesitation and then the fall was both shocking and humorous at the same time. The the silence, like the lack of music, mm-hmm. was very telling. And the way they shot, just they held that. St- he walks off the screen, and they just have that state, that static shot of the window. You yeah. hear him. You hear something being put down, which is presumably the, the crown, crown, right? Because he was started to take it off, and he jumps out the window, and you're like, and my first thought, like. After I, after seeing that scene, was like, and that's why they call it King's Landing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, professional comedian. <laughs> Sam and Gilly arrive at the Citadel, and Sam is taken inside the library, where he stares in awe of its vast size and knowledge stored within its texts. Listen, I just want to be with somebody that looks at me like Sam looked at that library. Because <laughs> <laughs> good lord. And like one of the things that struck me after seeing this scene was that all those birds that were flying out of the Citadel, mm-hmm. those are white ravens. Yeah. I did not know they had white ravens. Nor did I, but they no, explain what they're for later. Yeah, they explain what they're for, but it was very much like, uh, oh, and the, the, the maester, who's like the receptionist at the Citadel. With the tyrannosaurus dude. arms, you know, yeah. I'm not going to reach him. <laughs> no women and children. Like, he was just like, so like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, why would you? As a, it was like he was raised there as a child and just doesn't know social constructs at yeah. all. But it really makes you respect once you learn what what level of information and knowledge the maesters and have at their disposal. Mm-hmm. When you get that, you know, that expanding shot of what that library was like, it's just it's ridiculous how big it is. It's like, wow, the Citadel has all this stuff in it. Yeah. And it's all like Sam's just holy cow. All this stuff is now at my disposal. And it makes you sort of believe that maybe there is something there that will like bestow upon Sam the knowledge that he needs to mm-hmm. become an mm-hmm. important player. Right. Because that place clearly has all the knowledge. It has all, all the it. books. Like this, <laughs> all, all the books. books. It has all the books. As Jon Snow and Melisandre converse in Winterfell. Davos appears and tosses Princess Shireen's wooden toy into her hands. He makes her confess what she did, and Jon banishes her from the north. While talking with Sansa, she tells him that a white raven has arrived from the Citadel, meaning that winter is here. Davos was friggin' badass during this scene, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was pissed. Yeah. Like, the most pissed we've seen him. He's normally very calm and collected. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, like, jabs in there with a little bit of humor. Mm-hmm. But he was mad. Like, he was like, tell her. Tell him what you did. I think that's great. With He's had so much restraint until then. So to yeah. finally see it come out and it's like, no, I'm not restrained anymore. That was awesome. Yeah, when he's saying like, oh, I loved her like my own. And he's yeah. just, he's breaking down. And it's visceral too. Because like, you're like, oh my God. Like, I can totally sympathize with him. That girl was like his own daughter. Absolutely. And, and that wasn't something that they, like, he's saying now. Because when you actually saw him with Shireen. Stannis could care less because she had her affliction. Right. You know, oh, she's, I'm going to hide her away in the tower. And yet Davos was always up there, always teaching her, working with her, having discussions with her and really had that love and respect for her. So him saying, I loved her like she was my own, wasn't a curveball. That was like, yeah, he did. You could see that. It made total sense when you saw that, how they had built that in season two or whatever it was. Yeah. She taught him to read. Yeah. Totally. I mean, like, does just, and then for, to see John's reaction after that was like, 
All right. I know you brought me back, but you went way too far. Yeah. Like this is like definitely goes against everything that I'm fighting for currently. Mm-hmm. And but, I know you brought me back. And I like how Melisandre, she did say though, but it's the same, the same God who brought you back was yeah. the one who commanded me to do, but I was wrong. And it kind of, it kind of brings us back, right? I mean, at one point in the beginning of the season, you definitely had reason to believe that Melisandre doubted her faith because mm-hmm. of her inability to do the thing that she was sought out to do or her mission in life, actually. So to see her sort of restored in her faith to a degree where she can defend herself by saying, I, I murdered a child because of the the same God that brought you back. Mm-hmm. Like that was very mm-hmm. much like, okay, well she believes again, right? At least she's her old self, albeit <laughs> her own fucked up self, her own fucked up self. In Dorne, Lady Olena has arrived to meet with Illyria Sand, who promises vengeance and justice before summoning Varys, who simply says fire and blood. That was the most impactful three words. When he right? walked in, I was just like, oh, this sneaky son of a gun. Yeah, like that is very much like, oh, Varys is a boss. Like, yeah, he yeah. is. And, and Lady Olena shutting down the three sand snakes. Oh, my God. Oh, she was awesome. See, that's like just with so little. She she brings because Diana Rigg is she has that class about her uh-huh. and she just did it in such a way the adults are talking yeah <laughs> it was awesome and she sort of was the voice of the people mm-hmm. I mean yeah. like the Sand Snakes I mean they are yes they are characters in the books and they did have a role to play in the previous season but they're kind of like these like weird things that you they're like these children that you don't need in the room right like her literally saying adults are talking are like the voice of all the fans being like we don't need this to happen anymore right these people right. have no purpose their their purpose has since passed so let's just get them out of the way right and whether they have a purpose in the future or not i don't know i mean i hope not because they're kind of annoying i agree Un- unless they're naked <laughs> um but you know like for lady olena to be like uh you guys need to go the adults are talking and then for varus to come out and be like fire and blood and be like yeah so i mean ultimately you have two people with between the the kingdom of dorne and and the house of Tyrell. Two families who have huge hatred for the Lannisters, and now you have Varys walking in, who is the flag bearer at this point, looking to recruit for for Daenerys. Yeah. So it, it's it's just you know you see that, and instantly I was just feeling like that whole episode pieces were moving into Absolutely. place for the final seasons, and you know we'll we'll talk about where things go with Cersei, but you're seeing all this strength going that way, and you're going to see some other houses sort of join with them as well, and and it would just felt like this big angle to build to like the last two seasons. And I mean, it was was kind of like, I don't know exactly what the map of this world looks like, but I kind of felt like all of the sides on like all the countries on one side of the map were sort of coming together. And like, there was King's landing by itself, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then like having Winterfell in the North and having these, this like United nations of people that hate Cersei like it felt really powerful. Yeah, right? yeah. Daenerys informs Dario that he will stay behind in Marine with the Second Sons while she takes Westeros. She then meets with Tyrion, who tells her that despite never believing in anything, he believes in her. She then gives him a brooch she had made for him and names him Hand of the Queen. That was a great scene. That was yeah. an amazing. The emotion scene. of Peter Dinklage when she puts the uh, the brooch on him mm-hmm. was was so authentic and so because he had been the Hand of the King. And it been pulled away from him. And now to have basically begged his way, you know, for his life to becoming her trusted advisor. Now the hand. And he showed it with no words. And then he does say something about how, you know, he, he believes in her and that that mm-hmm. whole tie in. 
I love just the look. They get that shot and he takes the knee to her. And it was just awesome. So such a great scene. Well, it's like the contrast in his character, right? He was the hand of the king when he didn't want to be. Right. Like he was forced into the position for a person he did not believe in. And still, I mean, he was fairly effective. Mm -hmm. We saw him in the Battle of Blackwater and his discovery of the wildfire. And then now we see him in a similar position with a person of even greater power where he actually believes in the person. He wants to serve the person and is finally given the title that previously he didn't want, but now he wants, it seems like he wants nothing more. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of like that bond between the two, just having them sit down next to each other, just having a drink and being like, listen, this is a fucked up world we live in. Let's just try to get through it together. And then having that emotional moment and then seeing that she, like you, you, for a second, you forget that he's an imp. Right. And then the camera pans back and then she's standing on the floor and he's standing on a step. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's pretty sure. And he kneels. He kneels, but to the point before kneeling, they're acting very much as peers. Yeah. As equals, like sitting next to each other, like you mentioned, just kind of having a drink together. Very informally. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Just like they're two friends in this. Almost like they were family or something. Hmm. Hmm. Could they be? Hmm. Two heads of the dragon, perhaps. Hmm. Also, can we talk about Dario? Poor Dario. Yeah. Getting friend zoned like that. Just oh, like, man. Oh, you I don't feel that bad the, for Dario. In the penthouse, down to the lobby. He went from being the dick of the queen to being the queen's dick. The, <laughs> the queen's dick. Like, he, like, I mean, I, I genuinely believe that Dario loves. Yeah. Daenerys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the men who have slept with Daenerys love her. I, I mean, and also, of course, uh, Jorah, who is not, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dario was just like, I can help you. Like, I can be the person, I can be your hero baby. Yeah. You know, his, <laughs> her Enrique Iglesias. Come on. Uh, but, you know, like, to see that and just be like, you need to stay behind was very impactful because it shows that Daenerys knows that she needs to move forward with no distractions. Right. Because she definitely has feelings for Dario, but is like, maybe this isn't the best thing for us right now. Yeah. Like two lovers that have met way before their time. And it's very, like, sort of weirdly romantic. Like, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a weird love story. Even though she follows it up by telling Tyrion how little she felt by dismissing him. But I she acknowledges she's that. She's saying that to, to, I think she's saying yeah. that to sort of make herself believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't buy that she. She kind of acknowledges that, wow, I really just did that for a guy I care the world for. So it's a very impactful scene. And damn, Dario. During a victory banquet in River Run, one of the servers appears to be eyeing up Jamie Lannister. Later, after everyone's left, the same server brings Walder Frey a meat pie. When he asks where his sons are, she points to the meat pie, then reveals her true face as Arya Stark and slits his throat. So this is like a great like sequence, right? Oh, yeah. Because we have the interaction between Jamie and Walder Frey, and Jamie just sort of being acknowledging that, listen... You guys are aren't shit. Like yeah. you would literally fucked up more times than we care for. Mm-hmm. If I have to ride up here every time to fix your problems, why do we need you? Exactly. And yeah. it's funny because Walder Frey is kind of like this misogynistic, manipulative, so cocky, like yeah. just asshole with no balls. Like yeah, he can't mm-hmm. back up anything. He, he says. hasn't done anything. No. I mean, he's just made a, a, allegiances with people in the north, and for him, for Jamie to just one of his allies to come in and just take him down a peg 
was very satisfying yeah. because Walter Frey is a gross old man. He's a remora. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just clinging onto the belly of the beasts that are, and he's just picking off bits and pieces that exactly. he can to survive. And then seeing, of course, Arya's face when she murdered Walter Frey. Oh my god! Did very. Did un- you guys initially know it was Arya or no? no? No, I thought I thought when she came back and said the whole thing to him, uh, oh, but the here like when she went to answer Frey, I thought because of the look between her and and Jamie. I thought she was definitely in on something with Jamie. Mm-hmm. I didn't at all know it was going to be Arya. So I thought she was, you know, they had that look, that little familiarity. I didn't know if it was something that Jamie put her up to after that, that whole rapport he had with Frey where, you know, we can knock you down a peg if we want to. Um, and then had her doing this. I thought at first the message that you've eaten your kids was going to be like, this is what happens when you fuck with the Lannisters, mm-hmm. know your role. Right. But then she does the face deal and it's Arya and I was like holy fuck yeah that's probably one of the best best uses of like that face magic thing yes. that, he, that they do because it's very unexpected super unexpected. I mean nobody expected Arya to like leave the house of black and white mm-hmm. with like a bag of faces no I didn't expect her to get back that fast like right. I didn't like honestly like with her sort of like I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home I thought she was leaving all of that like House of Black and White, mm-hmm. Faceless Men thing behind. Like, she wasn't going to use it at all. Oh, I knew it was going to come. Like, I thought she was going to just use, like, it was just her being Arya and, like, going about her business with Needle mm-hmm. instead of using faces and daggers. To, like, oh, no, no. She's total badass now with all the skills she picked yeah. up there. Yeah. yeah. But, like, her face when she's just, like, holding his head back, like, that blank sort of psychotic yeah. look. I was satisfied. like, great, very yeah. satisfying, but also disturbing. Scary, yeah. Like very, a little disappointing to me at least. Cause like I kind of saw her as like the Batman of the story. Yeah, You don't want her to be happy about it. You just want her to be effective. Just do it. Yeah. And then like, maybe you just walk away as she, as he bleeds out. Right. But then that look on her face where she's very much satisfied and happy with what's happening. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. So maybe you did take something away from the house of black. Oh, and totally. White. And after living with how many, how long it was between the Red Wedding and now that, I mean, she was very aware of what happened, mm-hmm. how it happened, because she was like right outside the gates pretty much. And yeah. to have lived with that and know that this guy on firsthand called the death of a good chunk of your family. Yeah. And for her to be able to get that. But it's good to see that yeah. she finally crossed the name off her list mm-hmm. oh, after such a long time. <laughs> it was great. As Sansa sits in the God's Wood, Littlefinger finds her and tells her of his dream to sit on the Iron Throne with her by his side. He attempts to kiss her, but she refuses. That whole scene creeped me the fuck mm-hmm. out. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's very much like, oh, you don't want that to happen. No. Like, And this is, again, sort of another scene that supports uh, Sansa's sort of division from House Stark or from Jon. Because it's like Littlefinger basically pushing his influence on Sansa by yeah. saying like, oh, like, you know, you deserve to be the queen or the leader of House Stark, and then Sansa being like, oh, but... And then Littlefinger sharing his dream, sitting on the Iron Throne, and just having this weird, creepy interaction, but putting planting the seed in Sansa's head that she should perhaps be the head instead of John, the bastard. Right. I was so glad when she pushed him away. I thought for sure he was going to actually kiss her. Because I know we, you know, you'd had the previous yeah. scene at, at the place with the Moon Gate, you know, and mm-hmm. I thought that that was going to happen again and i yeah. thought she was gonna sort of be more because little finger's all about the bigger game right? yeah you don't yeah. you wouldn't expect him to preserve a player that has no use i don't know but i i think he definitely is, is when he says that he's looked at her and envisioned i think that was very real i think that was less manipulative i think that he very much did lust after her mother and 
with her being the beauty she is, he's latched onto mm-hmm. her. At a young age, he latched onto her. And I think he really does have that. That's where he wants to be. He wants to be the king. He wants her by his side. And now he's going to try and manipulate her if he can. And he's figuring, well, if I you know, tell you this is what I want, maybe we can make it happen. And she put up the hands. And, yeah. Um, and I mean, technically, isn't Sansa a Bolton now, even though that house has sort of been demolished? Technically, kind of yes. Now. But I think people are very ready to write that off, mm-hmm. like right away. But I mean, wasn't you know, remember when she was riding around with John trying to accumulate forces for the battle or for Bastard Bowl? Mm-hmm. Like she I, was declaring herself a Stark. Yeah, she was saying she yeah. was a Stark. But somebody but then, said Lady Bolton. Yeah, there was that one house that was like, "No, you're a Bolton. Yeah. Like you, you. We know that you married Ramsay mm-hmm. Bolton, so we know that you're a Bolton. So I mean, why would we listen to you? Like the one true king of the North is Ned Stark." And you don't, neither of you carry that name. Right. So, I mean, it was, it's kind of weird, like for Littlefinger, the person who put her in that situation to begin with, to then again turn around and say that, no, you're a Stark. You deserve to be the head of this house. Yeah, a little weird, but definitely in line with his manipulative ways. And it leaves a gray area to see how they have a lot to play with. Yeah. So. Benjen leaves Bran and Mira by a weirwood where Bran touches it and returns to his vision in the Tower of Joy. He sees Ned Stark crouching over his sister Lyanna, who lies in a bed soaked in her own blood. She makes Ned promise that he will protect her newborn son, who Bran realizes is Jon Snow. Right. And a very effective method of conveying that to the audience. Yeah. So. And so, I mean, like, there's a lot of imagery in this particular sequence, mm-hmm. um, I mean, let's start with like how Benjen sort of left Bran like right before the wall and was acknowledged that, you know, the same magic that keeps the White Walkers out is going to keep me out because I'm right. somewhere between the lines. And so I can't go any further, which kind of raises the question of Bran still has the the mark of the Night's King. Right. Is that going to somehow affect the magic at the wall? So if he crosses through, does that barrier break down, you're saying? Or weakens it or breaks it yeah. down somehow so that the Night King is able to get through. And follow-up to that is this perhaps Uncle Benjen showing his cards, saying mm. that he said, oh, I was working for Children of the Forest, but maybe he's not. Maybe he's an agent for the Night's King and is like pushing that through so that Bran can get to the other side, weaken the magic so that the Night's King can get through. Like It's kind of like a weird speculation to to believe that somebody who is not fully a white walker Mm -hmm. is somehow working for the knight's king yeah but it's not outside the realm of possibility right right right. so yeah and then the whole tower of joy the payoff finally like we all like it it was like as if they pressed the pause button and then unpause it because it was like right at the scene where ned turns around and then turns back up to go to the tower And then you see that, like, the imagery, which I believe is from the books. It's like a a child born under the star Star, with the blood. And the sword has it on the hilt. Yeah, because it's like, I guess, the he took the Sword of Morning's sword to kill him and then took it with him upstairs. Mm -hmm. And so you see that imagery. So, oh, it's happening. It's finally happening. And then, like, you see the, or you don't see it, but, like, you, they have that conversation sort of in whispered tones. And the audience doesn't hear it, but I guess Bran hears it and figures it out that mm-hmm. John is the the child of a Targaryen and a Stark. And then they uh, never say anything about Targaryen within this, right? But no, the, that's the assumption. But that, the, that's the assumption. That's what everybody thinks is right in the Tower of Joy sequence, <coughs> in, in, at least in the books, the Tower of that—that's where Rhaegar 
stashes Lyanna mm-hmm. and orders his the the King's Guard to protect her. Right. Because of what's happening in the in King's Landing. So he it's, the presumption is that it's Rhaegar's baby. But um there was this weird thing on the internet where some linguist who is a fan of Game of Thrones deciphered what uh Liana was saying to Ned. Oh my goodness. Like lip reading, like like seeing what she said yeah. in order to, you know, figure out who this kid is. And even though the assumption is that yes, it's Jon Snow, the linguist figured out that the the woman was whispering the baby's name to Ned and that that name was like Jaharis or something, mm-hmm. which is like has significance, you know, to the Targaryen family because there was a previous king by that name. Okay. But because the because of the the name and people recognizing that yeah, as being a Targaryen name, that. can't you use give it. Him a complete bastard name, John Snow. Yeah, it's a death sentence for the kid. Yeah. So Ned is like, well, let's just call him John, mm. which is kind of a hilarious thing. It's yeah. Like, Name's too long. Let's call him John. <laughs> I don't understand that foreign crap. <laughs> yeah, it's too long. I mean, think about it. On the SATs, come on. Jeez. The heads of the northern houses convene in Winterfell's Great Hall, where Lady Mormont declares Jon Snow as King of the North, inspiring the other houses to do the same. Another great speech by yeah. that, that young actress. She was brilliant in that scene. Yeah. You refuse the call. <laughs> you pledge loyalty to House Stark, but you refuse the call. That was a great scene. It like, was. And all those guys eating crow. You were right, but we've always had one true king, and his name is Stark. Yeah. But then you see that look on Sansa's face, yeah. too. Like Littlefinger standing in the mm-hmm. corner, like, look, this is what's happening now. Yep. Don't you not like what is happening right now? And then Sansa looking back, like, I kind of don't like this. Yep. Yeah. Because she feels like she maybe deserves at least, like, a co-queen of the North sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. at one point, she was nearly the queen on the Iron Throne. Yeah. Right, the queen right. of the Seven Kingdoms. Like, and- but yet at the same time, didn't she earlier express to john that he was like he was the one that should be ruling that was i think before Littlefinger planted the seed right and she said that but then saying it and then seeing it and experiencing it are two different things right well. yeah but like just that scene where like you everybody rallying behind john like oh so fired up yeah, yeah it was yeah. awesome and then liana morma i can't re- like just i can't repeat it enough i mean she's just like such a great character with such a huge impact over like what half a season mm-hmm. yeah so great and like just like every time she talks i'm like i'm listening and while yeah. all the men are chanting king of the north they cut to her the king of the north and yeah. then you really believe it yeah she said it yeah and she's like the exclamation yes point. absolutely oh so good i love the nickname of white wolf too oh yeah i'm the white wolf absolutely because yeah. it works on multiple levels yep. one because of the last name of snow and also because of uh ghost ghost yeah and like for all those like it's just it's such a great scene because like John just stands up and you can see the hesitation yes. in his eyes because he's been in this position yeah. before yep. with the Night's Watch. But also he sees like the urgency and need for it to happen mm-hmm. because otherwise we won't be able to survive what's coming. And uh, like it's it's such a great scene. Like it like it elevated Jon Snow in my mind because totally. throughout the season you see him sort of waver. And he's like, oh, I don't know about this. And like seeing the effects of being resurrected, like, oh, I don't know if I should be here. And then finally realizing that maybe as much as like I shouldn't be here, maybe I need to be here. Yeah. One of my my thoughts when it, the season ended, um, I know there's the big Targaryen Stark. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with uh, with Tyrion being possibly Targaryen and Lannister. I'm wondering if it's not going to be so cut and dry like that. But I'm wondering now you've got. Tyrion, who is definitely in the corner of Daenerys, if you take that piece of 
of of uh, Targaryen out of Jon Snow, and he's just Jon Stark basically. I'm wondering now that he is of that actual bloodline, the Stark bloodline. I'm wondering if maybe they're going to build more to him being the man who ends up on the arm of Daenerys, and that's how you bring those powers together and mm. unite the kingdoms. Because it would be a little. Uh, I mean, they obviously don't shy away from it, but if he was Targaryen, yeah. it'd be sort of you know, well, it won't be sister love, but it'll be cousin love, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is certainly not as bad as Jamie and Cersei, but still kind of a little icky. Yeah, it's still a little weird to be an ending note. They might not go that way, but I certainly feel like they're aiming things at to where Jon Snow is certainly going to be on the Iron Throne. I feel like Jon, though, would very gladly give it up to Daenerys. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. He's, he doesn't want this. He doesn't want any sort of like that leadership responsibility because mm-hmm. he's seen where that's gone. Totally. And for him to be able to handle it again, I think, is a little far-fetched. I think he's willing to sit on the throne of the north mm-hmm. at least for the time being and then maybe later like give it up to sansa or somebody else who wants it a little bit more because right. it's like he he's one person that doesn't shoulder responsibility very well although he does it well in times of need but not necessarily over i can very much see Jon snow being the right off in the sunset type of yeah. character yeah finally the, everything fell the way he wanted now i'm good i'm out like yeah. the gunslinger who rides off into the sunset absolutely. absolutely he's getting his second life and he's gonna go take it on his own terms find himself yeah. a good wilding girl oh, yeah. <laughs> with no king remaining cersei declares herself queen of the seven kingdoms and takes the iron throne that was a great scene as well just the way that happened it was just her elevation She's lost everything and gained everything in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. You know, she loses her last child, but now she's got the kingdom. It's like the fulfillment of the prophecy, at least as far as her children all dying. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then just seeing that look on her face, it's very sort of blank almost. Right. Like, I mean, she's, it's void of emotion. She doesn't look satisfied at all, Mm-mm. but she's sitting atop of she's achieved at least her political goal mm-hmm. of sitting on the Iron Throne. Despite it being at the sacrifice of her family. And then you see Jamie come in and be like, what the fuck just yeah, happened? Yeah. Right. Like when you leave the house and come back and your girlfriend has redecorated the entire apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Except in a way that is totally not what you thought was going to happen. Like, right. And, you know, there's also the the idea that Jamie, the Kingslayer, may fulfill the prophecy again and mm-hmm. be the Queenslayer. Because Cersei is very much shaping up to look like the Mad Queen right. at mm. this point. She just did not. She gave zero fucks and blew up an entire temple totally. full of people. Yeah. What's to say that she won't be equally as violent, if not more, to protect her kingdom now? And, I mean, we all know that the Mad King just went to all lengths to preserve his seat atop the throne. And Cersei's so, already started using his methods. Right. I mean, using the wildfire that right. stashed around the kingdom. So. She's shown that she has no remorse and has no sort of limits as to the savagery of whatever she does. So mm-hmm. it's like, does Jamie sort of take from the goodness of Brienne and realize maybe my sister's batshit crazy? I need to stop her and then become the Queen Slayer. It's possible, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, anything is in this show. Yeah. Meanwhile, a massive fleet of ships led by Daenerys Targaryen with her dragon circling overhead makes their way toward Westeros. And we see all the banners of the houses yeah. that have joined Daenerys. We see like the sails from uh, Dorne. We see like the banner from uh, House Greyjoy. Mm-hmm, right. We see the uh, the newly painted banner or sails of the Targaryen fleet 
which they accomplished in record time. Oh, right? sure did. And you I see, mean, you see Varus on the boat. You yeah. see, uh, well, maybe one of his doppelgangers. But you see, yeah. Ther- you see Theron. You see Yara. They're on the boat. So all these different houses who have never had really anything to do with each other through six seasons are now really coming together and all these different ensembles are becoming one major story. And it's is, this massive yeah. fleet too. It's like the, probably the biggest thousand, army It's like a seen, thousand right? ships. So like, yeah. It's very likely. And it gives me pause because I'm like, wow, that is really like the biggest sort of military force that we've seen. Yep. And you've got, you've got all the, um, all of great gray worm, that whole, and mm-hmm. you have all of the Thraki and their horses and whatnot. Yeah. So, and then you've got the people who followed the, the gray joys. I mean, you've got, a huge army. And yet somehow we still, I'm still not very hopeful because we still have the Knights King and the, There's that whole and the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they are more of a force of nature than they are an army. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so how are the, the living going to deal with the dead? And I, I think even, that's where Sam's going to come into play. Even I, with I this giant think, yeah. army. They got this giant army, but they're somehow not going to be able to deal with these people. Right. That just mm-hmm. that makes them the White Walkers so much more fear, fearful or fearsome. So. Yeah, yeah. But and then, I, yeah. that's why I feel the knowledge of Sam as the Maester because he's witnessed firsthand. Everybody kind yeah. of doubts. Oh, Dragon Dragonglass doesn't, and he's seen it. He's seen it happen. So I think that that's where his he's going to come in. His saving day is where he's going to find some bit of information that turns the final tide of the battle and. It's going to help them. One like we were saying before, yeah, it's going exactly. to be like the Gandalf. Yes, that, that, so. that's where I'm feeling. I mean, maybe I've seen and and read too many things that have been like that, and this yeah. could go a completely different way. I thought the whole story was going to be about Ned Stark, and a few episodes in of <laughs> yeah. season one, I was greatly mistaken. Yeah. So. All right, wrapping up season six, final thoughts or something you would like to plug, Paul O? Um, final thoughts. I actually have some final thoughts. Oh, um, go for it. More about the Game of Thrones than you know, of course. The, the podcast That's in general. Fine. There are some things I, I would like to see from the coming season. We know that there's going to be 15 episodes max. There's going to be a lot to cover in a very short period of time. But I want to see, I definitely want, next season, I definitely want to see the wall come down. Because mm-hmm. that's been sort of prophesized at this point. So I want to see that happen. I want to see, as much as King's Landing gave me so much joy in the final episode, I kind of want it to not be a factor. Like I kind of just want Daenerys to steamroll through <laughs> King's Landing and then be like, oh, there's these zombies up north. We need to deal with that right. so that it kind of moves the story be forward. Be the unifying thing that brings right. the kingdoms together. Bring the story together, yeah. even, you know, because it's so fractured at this point. And then to see Arya do something of worth because, you know, she's – She's hinted that, you know, maybe she wants to go west, go as far west as she can. Mm-hmm. But before doing that, maybe accomplish something like scratching or, you know, crossing some names off that list of hers. So. All right. Matt West. I think that uh, if we have two seasons left, I think the next season is going to be the ascension to the Iron Throne. I think it's going to be whatever happens with Cersei. That's going to be this season. You'll get sprinklings of the White Walkers. I think the last season is going to be that battle. Um, I think that's how it's going to be paced out. So that that's my outlook on that. Just keep an eye on my uh, my Twitter at Mad Dog Matt Storm because pretty soon my band Longshot Voodoo is going to be starting a crowdsourcing. That's at Longshot Voodoo. Uh, we're starting to crowdsource for our uh, full length album that we're working on this summer. It's going to be really pretty groovy stuff, and uh, we've actually got a major festival that has us opening um, at the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. So we are picking up some momentum, and I'm hoping that people who dig good music or uh, even just like the insights that I've thrown out on the show will uh, support. 
support us when we get to that point. The crowdsourcing is up. For everything else we do, you can head on over to thegeekgeneration.com. If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can like us at facebook.com slash thegeekgeneration and follow at geekgeneration on Twitter. You can watch live podcasts and gaming at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Night Angel. Support the show by going to thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. Link to their site can also be found on our site. We'll be back soon with more geeky stuff for you, and we will see you then. Later. Make it so.